My mic might be broken. Can you hear me? No? No? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Is it me? Is it like, is it this mic? The good mic? You're a little far. You're, yeah, now you're closer to the mic. <laughs> well, it just said. There you go. Sound good. You sound good. It, it, okay. Yeah. It just like disconnected in the middle of the song. This thing happens because I'm pretty sensitive to the uh, tempo where the song changes tempo in it. Not because I did it, because the service speeds up, and I'm like, "What is this rubber bandingness?" And it's all mic disconnected. So, anyways, we're here to talk about Star Wars. Turns out, not my shitty microphone, or how sick and dying I am from these kids that gave me their little kid disease. That's super serious. I warned you. Out. I warned you seven years after you had them to not not do it, and I have. You you did <laughs> you did. Side. <laughs> you did tell me, like, I mean, I think it was you who said, like, hey, what if you made a time machine and then you just ran up to your ex and drop kicked her? You did say that. Like, and, and I, I thought it was really, no, really cruel. Jason, but you're making I, a lot of I sense. Imply, I, I implied it. I did not directly say that. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So it's true. But you gave me all the, you gave me all my best ideas. And um, yeah, that's true. That's, that's, that's where, where we're at, uh, KG. My my kids are my my daughter got better very quickly. My son's still home. He's he's good. He's fine. He just sounds like a seal, and he's just hanging out at home. Like because he goes to school, he coughs, and then they're like, "You can't be here. You got COVID." And we're like, "No, we went to the doctor. We got this all worked out. We did the COVID test, but he's ready to go back to school. But they won't let him. So is what it is. But he's but he's good. But me, I'm like." Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm dying my you bit eye, the hand that fed <laughs> i almost yeah i thought i was gonna have to go with the uh with the uh thing but oh you got the pink eye no not the pink eye i didn't eat the butt Stink i eye. got oh. i got nobody farted on my pillow no uh but it feels like i have the something in eye. my eye so i keep like touching it making it worse but oh yeah just, oh don't do that man that's the oh ah I, I can feel it now i don't like it I don't like it. Um, Stop talking about it. All right. Do you want to talk about Studio Ghibli or do you want to talk about Andor first? Uh, we can get the Ghibli stuff out the way if you want. Yeah. So Bestman Bolton's on the scene here with the ideas, ruining everybody's fun, ruining my morning. I, I went from thinking I had a Studio Ghibli movie. I was like, oh, they're going to do that. They're going to they're gonna give us the movie. And then, and then bringing us down to Grogu and the Dust Bunnies is what Bestman thinks it is. And I think that is good analysis of what it most likely is. Let's hope he, that his guess is not right. The iconic Japanese... Oh, you give him a coffee, pieces of shit. The iconic Japanese animation studio, Studio Ghibli, took to social media today to announce a collaboration with Lucasfilm. Neither Studio Ghibli or Lucasfilm announced details of their collaborative effort. 
but the partnership is exciting nonetheless. All right, it's like, are they or aren't they? Come on, Lucasfilm, tell us. We know you guys are doing it. The natural assumption is that Studio Ghibli and Lucasfilm are working on some kind of Star Wars project, which is more than likely the case. But we must remember that Lucasfilm is more than just Star Wars, so there's always a chance the collaboration isn't something set in a galaxy far, far away. So that's also true. Some fans have started to speculate that Studio Ghibli might be providing an episode of the next season, The Visions, an animated anthology series of nine anime-inspired episodes. And Visions 2, I don't think, is even necessarily anime. It's like something else, isn't it? But um, but again, that's really speculation. Anime. The anime. Um, I, I call it Japanimation. That's what I still call it, Japanimation. Oh, remember that? That's what we used yeah, to call it. Yeah, I remember the sci-fi channel. I remember. Well, no, no, that's what they called it, like before anime was like a thing like, I before know. the internet. I know. They used to call it, there's a lot, a lot of inappropriate yeah. stereotypes for. Is Japanese is Japanimation inappropriate though? I mean, it's like yeah, it's, an, it's Japanese animation. Yeah, really? yeah, it's not. It's not good. Really? Yeah. Because I call a while. It, so you're saying if I call it Kamikaze Tunes, that's insensitive, maybe? little bit okay okay i I won't then i have learned i have grown as a person in this episode Um, my capitalist self will refrain from imperialist (laughs) military all right cool i'm just saying ww2 never forget um no i'm joking another lucasfilm project we must get your walter Hold on. Someday you're Walter Chopek. Someday I am. You know what I mean? Like, today, I'm like, dude, dude, not to prefer nomenclature. <laughs> <laughs> anime. A- anime. So today I got I to gotta set the dude straight. Dude, dude. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. It's not to prefer nomenclature. Right. So this, this is where I think this is where I think we get into the most likely scenario. But remember, this shit comes out, as, as uh, Bess been reminding me, this shit comes out on Saturday. So... Another Lucasfilm project we must consider, the one I think is most likely, is Star Wars Zen Grogu and the Dust Bunnies. An entry into the Disney Zen anthology series, which focuses on sounds and visuals from some of Disney's most iconic franchises. Recently, Disney Italy revealed that Grogu and the Dust Bunnies will release on November 12th, but no additional information outside of the title was revealed. What? What? We didn't do it. We didn't do it. That's what they're saying over there. Like, yeah, yeah, you did. You put it out, Disney Italy. They're like, come on. And they they did it though. (laughs) It wasn't me. It was a Clisa Pratt. Yeah. (laughs) What happened was Chris Pratt left a voicemail and pranked them, and they fell for it. (laughs) He left us. He got verified for eight dollars, and we thought it was him. It, he passed us. It's a me, Captain Kennedy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he calls oh, up. Yeah. He calls up. Yeah, it's a me, Kathleen Kennedy. Like, they're like, oh shit, <laughs> shit. That that sounds just like her to us. Is what saying, so. Got us again. James probably- Gunn is laughing. <laughs> <laughs> the primary reason I think it may be Ghibli related is due to the dust bunnies. As they were featured in the Studio Ghibli film My Neighbor Totoro, but under the name Susuwatari, Watari, Susuwatari, Susuwatari. Well, I don't know. It's fucking Susan Ward. Is I think the name? All right. So, and then here we have um, their their little merkins. I guess not 
not Merkins like me and Rob, but like Merkins like the ones that go over your junk if you ain't got anything on your junk and no, you got to do a movie no, no, with the what well, well, that's what it looks like. It looks like they're, somebody, they're little pieces of coal bunnies. I I'm pretty sh- I'm pretty sure somebody shaved their pubes on top of this. By bit. the way, um, back when the DK the the Oculus DK two came out, someone made a little like I don't know what you would call it, like an experience, but it's this scene from uh, uh-huh. Spirited Away. So yeah. you can go into that scene. They hand paint all the textures. It's like hand painted textures and shit. So they got right. those little suit bunnies and stuff, and they got the dude working the crank and stuff, and it was pretty dope. I'm like, it'd be great, man, just to have the like when you were saying about. Because it reminded me of the other day when you were talking about the Star Wars VR could just have environments you could traverse. Like the Ghibli environments when they're fully painted up in VR. It's pretty amazing, dude, just that- to walk around. Yeah, yeah, it's super great. Yeah, well, you know, some people want to live like a, like a virtual life, but me, America, Meg, we want to bring animation back to America where it belongs. <laughs> to Burbankistan? Yeah. Right here to good old Burbank. Burbank, <laughs> California. Now, I know what you're thinking. Burbank, California, coastal elites, and you would be right. But in this instance here, America <laughs> first. Segunda. El Segundo, where where is that? In Mexico? That don't sound like no American city to me. Uh, Studio Ghibli, Ghibli are best known for creating <laughs> some of the most beloved, iconic, and inspiring anime films of all time, including Spirit Away, Castle in the, the Sky. And the delightful Grave, Grave, Grave of the Fireflies. Grave of the Fireflies, <laughs> which is my favorite one. Delightful. Me and, me and my yeah, daughter love it. We, we, we watch Shocking. it still. We, still, we watched it together recently again. It's Everyone should movie. at least once. I mean, oh, no, yes. it's, 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 I think it's great. The uh, double studio... feature of, uh, the, the big double feature of Schindler's List and Grave of the Fireflies. That's, that's the one to go to. That's... It's like, imagine if Dragon Ball Z and Schindler's List made a baby, you know? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason, it's been a good show. Covered everything today. Because <laughs> if it gets worse than this, Jason, we're never recovering. Oh, you know what I mean? God, I, I'm a... <laughs> Can I blame the NyQuil? (laughs) (laughs) You've already used your NyQuil cards quite a few Uh, times, you know. (laughs) That's true. Alrighty, but yeah, this is this is this is what the this is the uh, tweet that came out today. Three million views already, which which um, number one two things. Okay, Lucasfilm and and Studio Ghibli. Do you guys know what you're doing? Because if you guys, w- this announcement had everyone hoping that a, a dream we've all had that they are going to make a Star Wars animated film in something is, is happening though. And if it's Grogu cleaning up the Mandalorian shaved pubes off the bottom of the ship in animated form, everyone's going to be mad at you. Everyone I mean, is going to be like, look, no, 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 I'm not saying you don't want it, but do you want the fucking movie though? You want the movie. And this kind of thing okay, makes I, us think it's the movie. Do if you're don't do an announcement for an announcement. Do the fucking announcement. All right, I need to, because I've been accused of not being uh, helpful on this show. <laughs> I've had we've had fans go. Rob offers nothing, no inside information. Nothing does nothing. Just puts Jack Ritter back there. All fucking. So here's the thing. I like it. There is a series of Miyazaki. Documentaries done by the same same dude, 
Like it's like uh, one or two people that actually Mazak it to me. Mazak it to me. I never get to say that, so I wanted yeah, to say Mizaka. it while I could. So that Mizaka covered from Tumi. around 2003 or four up until uh, 2017, 2018, right? Right. And they're spaced out. There's two of them on Blu-ray. Uh, Dreams of Madness. There's another one. I have them all. And then there's a in the middle. The, the the ones on Blu-ray, it's like the before, the beginning and the ending, but there's a big middle section where he shut down the studio and kind of went into retirement for a while. And what did he do during it? And it kind of started with the tsunami, and then it goes to his retirement, and then it, how he comes out of retirement. And that's on the website NHK. So if you type in NHK Miyazaki, you can watch it. It's like four hours long because it's it's great though. I actually prefer that middle section. Okay. Jason, if you want him, I got all this shit down that I can send it to you. Okay. But when he's in retirement, he decided because they do these little miniature um, experimental, experimental, these little miniature animation videos for his museum, the Ghibli mm-hmm. Museum. And he had an idea for one. So the studios all shut down. He wanted to do something called Goro, the, the caterpillar, about this caterpillar kind of like you'd see everything at like a microscopic level, right? Yeah. And the studio shut down. So he uh, gets his producer to to gather up a bunch of young students, right? That could do it in CG because he's like, well, maybe we could do this with you know computer animation. And watching him struggle, like trying to communicate, you just draw the thing, and he just can't move the 3D around. And just finally, he, he gave him a Cintiq. It's hilarious to watch. Yeah. But there's a sequence where he comes into the studio one day, and everyone's gone, and he's painting or he's you know animating. And he's animating, and he goes, "Yeah, they're all at Star Wars." It's when the Force Awakens really. Everyone's this, at Star. I remember. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you to share the stories. I'm glad you are. Yeah, and he's. They're all at Star Wars. Everyone wants Star Wars. No one wants to do. No one wants to spend time with the Caterpillar. You know, right? <laughs> it's just not and he just he hates Star Wars. He hates it. He, he was like my age when it came out. You know what I mean? He was like late. He yeah. was he was in his early 40s. No, see, we hit 40 something. Yeah, he was in his early 40s or late 30s when star wars came out it's not his thing you know this is a guy who lived yeah. through world war ii you know so like <laughs> seeing right. a lot of horrific shit so i know like he brought the studio back to do goro which i can't wait when you see the actual completed 2d piece they did it's brilliant like it's beautiful like i'm like this is you've never seen anything like it it's great but then i'm like Something's got to pay the bills. <laughs> and the longer yeah. he takes with the film, because they take longer and longer as he gets older, something got to pay the bills. And this is like, how did they get him to do something? You know, right. and I imagine this is not him doing it. It's like the the kids at the studio are happy to do something. Well, right? If that, it is, uh, in fact, Star Wars related, you know? Yeah, no, I, I was thinking about this. I was like, when I, when I thought maybe it might be a film of some kind, something feature length potentially, and I was like, you know, it kind of would suck if if we started getting them making making Star Wars stuff because they make their stuff. But if they did or doing anything for them with Star Wars is going to show their stuff to Star Wars people, which I think is ultimately good for everybody. The problem at Studio Ghibli when when it's active and and you know it kind of goes up and down. Um, is that me even Miyazaki in this documentary like and it's pretty candid like he he admits that he doesn't actually like there isn't a system to train new directors he tends to just just make the fucking thing I want he, he talks about how he, he consumes them right like he consumes their talent like until they basically burn out and go away he's like a so creative vampire the only, 
And people at the studio were hoping that his son would take over. So there's this whole chronology where you see his son trying to do it and having a big failure and then having to win. Yeah, and go home, Julian Lennon. We're fine Goro, without you yeah. doing Beatles covers, okay? His son has since come back, and they did this this CGI animated series that wasn't very good. Mm. I, I, I'm i sorry to say. It's probably the weakest thing they've ever made. So okay. even story-wise, whatever. So I don't – there isn't anyone at the studio. The, the biggest talent that's come out of – his studio that's gone on to do their own stuff is Hideki Anno, which is the guy who created Evangelion, right? Mm-hmm. And he's now he jumps between doing Evangelion anime and Godzilla, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the the man in suit Godzillas, which is with Evangelion beams. It's it's hilarious to watch, um, yeah. but there's just not a lot of like. So I just wonder. I'm very interested to know like. Imagine if this has nothing to do with Star Wars. What if they're just what if they're just distributing Goro the cat or Boro the caterpillar, right? Like yeah. that could be one of those things too. Like Lucasfilm's just distributing to build a relationship the way Disney tried to distribute di- distribute the films and then he got all mad. I don't know. It's most maybe, likely I thought maybe Visions it's what happened to Mad Mardigan and Willow. Right. So no, I, um, I, it I, is I, possible I think it's though. The best money's thing though. That's so true. It is yeah. It is possible that the Visions thing went over well, that other directors, he just saw it, and, you know, they're in their little groups, and they're talking, and, and like, he always shows them outside at this, the bench smoking with his, like, longtime producer, you know, and I just imagine they're like, I don't know Star Wars, I don't know Star Wars, I don't do a Star Wars, <laughs> you know? but I'll do me Star Wars, and then he finds the, like, there's that one, I love that one, um, the Visions I love them all, man. But the one, the one I'm talking about is the robot one. Is the one mm-hmm. I'm thinking of, right? Where the robot is in the house. Oh with yeah, the, the professor. The one that was done by it's very the, Astro Boy. Yeah, I, I Astro wonder Boy, if Peter, um, like Pinocchio, yeah, we, Astro Boy kind of mashup. And and I and I tell people don't sit on that one's brilliant and it has a lot of creative visual imagery that you're never gonna. It's what Filoni and them are trying to do on like that Ahsoka episode with the the the, the little like bunny creatures running around. They go out there with the the leopard. Like they try to do that, but there's no, it's just not inventive enough, you know. Like it's like it's not enough. It's like surface level. Maybe and maybe that's it's a like super. Maybe it's just a Hujib Avenger. Look, I I just I just think that even if it is just Grogu with some dust bunnies, I'm gonna tell you don't don't sit on that because the no, problem like no, like I was not. listening to Patrick Willems. Hold on, I was listening to Patrick Willems. He did a whole thing on Zack Snyder, which I think you should listen to. It's pretty good. He actually sums up Zack Snyder. I, I can't do it justice, but when he sums up what Zack Snyder is, you will laugh. It's brilliant. But he did a follow-up answering questions. Yeah. And someone had asked him about fan fan theories. Like, what do you think about fan theories? You follow the fan theories. And he's like, he says, he's like, I don't, he doesn't give him much credit because fans tend to place all of their predictions based on lore, right? And like, like Star Wars, like whatever Star Wars or Batman, like fan lore and fan time like like timelines and lore and specifics they don't actually follow the creative the way things actually creative come to fruition right from beginning mm-hmm. to end the, the creatives don't open up a book of encyclopedias and go what timeline will i pick and like when santa's like what timeline should you place a movie that is totally irrelevant like mm-hmm. like, like i know you think that's relevant because that's how fans they in timeline and canon and they fit in here and it slots and that's the thing and it, it doesn't it's irrelevant yeah so what's relevant is when you have this gestation <clears throat> of a feeling or an idea or a key moment and you that inspires you and it, and it unleashes unlocks like almost a nuclear explosion all these other possibilities 
that's where the ideation phase comes in when you're developing something right or whiteboarding if you're writing and then and then the director or the creative in charge has to decide which way to go you know, so when you say, oh, this idea would never work, say Grogu's and Dust Bunnies, that's because your ideation bubble is small. You don't have enough stuff on the board. Or maybe you picked the wrong path to take, right? Like like a quest, you know, you know, right? you know I'm, I'm on board with, 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 with the actual Dust Bunnies thing. I'm not on board with announcing a, a, a collaboration between these two studio giants, and it's like a five-minute short that's going to come out on Saturday, but with no context and letting everybody get crazy with it. And then letting everybody be ultimately disappointed. It's something that could just be good if they just said what it was right from the start. Studio Ghibli are if they yeah, are but doing you know that. they they always do things the Japanese way, which is you slowly release information. You know, like think about the way think about the way Sony would this America release something America I know, I know. first. Want, I know everything now immediately. And then while simultaneously saying, I want to know nothing, just drop it, never tell me. Like, I just, (laughs) the the contradiction of American expectations is. Listen, man, listen, all I'm saying is right now, the Italians were the one to tell me the truth. Let let me tell you. My own American government and not the Studio Ghibli. We don't have a lot of time to. I would say this (laughs) if it were me and, and, and Ghibli was like doing something, I would hope. It, it had nothing to do with any character you know. Like, that would be my expectation. Yeah. To not even do Jedi. When Lucas talked about, I know he was being very generalistic and, and probably blowing it way out of proportion, but when he said that his ideas for the sequels would have something to do with the microbial versions of the wills, and then I think of yeah. the animation test that Boro the Caterpillar was, if you scaled down microscopic into the force right you saw the mechanic because because what luke what, what lucas what, what I, I gotta stop you right there. there this man is talking about midi chlorians coming to animated t- cartoon tv show in the united states by our friends what is that what this what talking what are you doing man what, what from from japan and i like where your head's at friend Go on, I'm sorry. Right, but what what he does in there is that he takes this scene in a pond, and then you see all the little creatures in the pond doing their thing, like and collecting air bubbles or writing air bubbles, and like just things you wouldn't expect. And that stuff, when you explain it, man, it's hard. When you, Jason, when you explain to people Grogu has a mech suit, they go, "I don't know, man, I can't imagine." You know, like yeah. when you try to explain what's in Miyazaki's head, like when he's trying to explain that to other Japanese animators they don't understand it yeah like so i would just i I would hope it's something and and it's a perspective that we haven't seen versus they just take us ghibli scene that you are familiar with and draw over grogu in the scene essentially right not literally but essentially and give you something that you already thought because there's something when when his son directed tales from the earth was the first film he did and is and you can see Miyazaki watches the film and then he walks out early, like kind of thing at his son's premiere. Uh, I, I think and we, it's I just think he went too far this time, like George Lucas. Miyazaki, yeah, he walked out of his no son's in premiere. the beginning. I'm making a, a, a oh, remember the beginning. Okay. I think I went too far. Oh yeah, I went too far. <laughs> no, but it's when his son directed this, and and he goes, it's because his son's pretending he's doing the Ghibli things. He's like, there's a fantasy thing, and if you look at it, it looks very ghibli-esque it's all surface level it's here's the creature and they got the look and they look like nausicaa and they got the same designs and they got the painted backgrounds but it's missing 
the human experience. He's the, the director is bringing nothing to it. Yeah. And and I got to tell you that's what's most important to any creative endeavor. You got to bring a voice to it. You got to bring an experience to it. And that's just what I hope whatever they do. Even if it's 2 minutes, so, 4 minutes, whatever. So so what you're saying is when Luke does something creative, I need to publicly shame him. Only then will he get better. Oh, but only happens? in Fortnite. You just stand over him whenever you, you do the dances, you know? Like, he, doesn't, he doesn't play with me. He doesn't, he doesn't play Fortnite with me anymore. He's, he's, he's like, oh, that's for nerds. Because you keep sniping him and then doing dances no. over his corpse. <laughs> so I really kind of like, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, I'm hoping that this, in a weird way, does sort of backfire if that's what it is, though. If this is just like, like I said, if this is a five minute short or something like that. I'm hoping that it, everyone's like collectively like, what are you doing? And then it, it actually like helps well, helps them actually do something like like do a, a Star Wars feature it would be so cool if they did one. Right. But understand how this works, how mm-hmm. it works is they don't they don't. How do I say this? I want to make sure I'm saying you're better at coalescing your thoughts than I am. I see no. all at once. Right. I just so, say stupid stuff. They don't say, hey, we always make films. We're Ghibli. We'll sign up to a movie. You have to build a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And the way to build a relationship and to trust the the process on <coughs> from beginning to end, not just yeah. making something, but the releasing of it, how everyone felt, what was it like? You have to start small, you well, know, like, and this is the way to develop a relate. That's like the studio. I, I, I believe the, 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 Kathleen Kennedy sorry, is the, has been their American distributor on her the on the films that they've come out with before. I think the relationship with Kennedy so is not new. That's how you start a dialogue, yeah. right? But then yeah. making something for someone, especially mm-hmm. a, a licensed IP, which, man, everything you do has to get approved. Mm-hmm. And when I say everything, I mean, as you know, Jason, like when you had the concept art for, um, what's that game that was canceled? <clears throat> yeah, um, uh, Ragtag. Ragtag. Like every little hilt. Every, and when you, how many? How often in, in, in Uncharted do you remember the hilt of a gun? Like, think about that. Right? Is he even thinking about that? No. But everything in Star Wars has to get approved, you know, like minutely. So, so that would be one of those things that um, they'd want to find the thing that involves the least amount of approvals. So, like, if it's Grogu and then it's a totally new environment that they just have to sort of like inexplicably like yeah that looks good that looks good that fits that sits within the or do what you want just when it touches main star wars stuff we just need to kind of look at it it's just it's feeling out that relationship you know yeah and and how that works i mean like 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 i'm i'm with you in the sense that it you know i'm i'm pretty on board with whatever they do or would do with lucasfilm i would i would want to see it i think it would be probably worth my time for sure it's the same time like you think of like what happened to Grogu after the Jedi Temple, or what happened there? What happens in those years? They they can do it. That would be the, that would be the best way to do it. I would love it if that if they went a weird way like that. If we saw because they they always do like like the or those the, those stories of like lost kids kind of thing so well. And like like I would be Let me give you up some for hope. it, but something original some would also be good. Yeah. Because I've also been accused of never bringing any information to the show, Jason. I don't know if you're aware of this yeah. accusation. I bring no insider. I'm completely mm-hmm. irrelevant. So let me give you some irrelevant. If they didn't info. say it on True Soul Show, I probably didn't <laughs> see it, brother. Miyazaki has said in the last year he planned on returning to fantasy. Yeah. He made this quote. And I was like, 
I had always wanted them to adapt Nausicaa into a series because it's a giant, it's a four volume series. It took them 15 years to do in the movies, the first quarter of, or the first half or quarter of the first book. Yeah. But then I wonder what if this, what if his return to fantasy is here's the Star Wars, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. he is trying to set up, if he did, if he wanted to shut down Ghibli entirely, then he just would have stayed out of it. You know, mm-hmm. um, but they've built a little, it's not a theme park, it really. It's like, a, I don't know. It's, it, they call it a, it's a park, but it's not a theme park. They Is it like a little Santa's Village he, for Studio Ghibli? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they do everything independently. He doesn't sell his stuff. They own everything, you know? So, yeah. you know, but if he did want to like fund the shit out of the studio or get things going, that it could be possible. I, when I say possible, I mean, it, possible right yeah yeah <laughs> but in, there in is that legit that they are bit, operating in a know? capitalist society where money needs to come in in order to make anything especially in the the economy that's sort of been a little bit ravaged in japan in the wake of covid19 right like and also like when you but look at look at him and tony gilroy gilroy was somebody who came into star wars not necessarily being the biggest fan of it or even caring about it and then was like, well, how do I make myself and my wife care about it? And then he did it. And and like, so this guy comes <clears> in and, <throat> and, and has no interest in it. Maybe he'll bring it like, oh, well, here's what I, I see. It. If he if he sees it as failing in its very existence, he has to see what it's lacking. He has to see what's not there that he's like, why isn't that there? And he could put it there. So I'd be up for it. Right. But. I would I would prefer people to see what Miyazaki would 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 do versus Filoni's like interpretation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And it's not to knock Filoni. We all have our influences. But when it comes to LA's obsession with an aesthetic and it misses the soul of something, right? Mm-hmm. It bugs me to no end. It bu- yeah. It's the difference between Simpsons when Brad Bird was running the story department, like the first four seasons where there was these actual stories, you have these like almost sad episodes sometimes of The Simpsons mm-hmm. versus when Family Guy comes out and Simpsons just becomes Family Guy humor with Simpsons. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. surface level. Surface yeah. Level. So most of the stuff in this article, Rob, you have heard Gilroy say in the podcast that you recommend. Oh, well, I'm out of here done yeah well, well I mean, oh well i did not recommend jason i don't bring any relevant information or right <laughs> to this podcast i you know so it's impossible well i could never have done that. i mean the, the the thing about it was what you recommended i don't think were were from the united states they weren't they weren't american enough so it didn't count i got i found Chuck the same information in bourbon <laughs> yeah i don't know man he's like, like a, film school like, like, like right elite. across the street from from the in and out like in the where amoeba was like uh-huh. <laughs> i've been there many times never mind all right i don't know man sounds like mexico <laughs> to me um but anyways this article what's wrong with mexico <laughs> don't, listen there's nothing wrong with with mexico other than the fact that it ain't, it ain't america that's all what were oh, we watching I, were we watching it who made the joke was it were you watching somewhere we were watching something someone made the joke about uh oh what was it man where we're like americans were moving to mexico and being to de- god 
I don't know. Yeah, it's it was. It was. It wasn't a joke. It was like a fake documentary. Or I gotta remember where I was watching this because the days blur. But it was hilarious. All right. I'm, I'm it was probably it probably a, one of those onion videos. Maybe. Um. It was. No, 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 Andor... no, 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 no. It wasn't it. Okay. How Endor drew from Joseph Stalin plus Inside Season Two, the revolutionary Star Wars show, an in-depth new interview with with showrunner Tony Gilroy tells all about how making the making of his game-changing series including the spectacular prison break responded to critics previews of season two and much more so uh oh are they gonna do a thing oh they're gonna do that to us oh well fuck you rolling stone <laughs> fuck what, capitalism you. capitalism man you know what man maybe if i was over here on the america rolling stone would be okay though <laughs> but this must be this must be some some commie rolling stone but anyways uh we know what he talked about and um he, he was he was saying like, oh, we're going to do an Andor season two, an Andor season two. Luthen don't die. So he pretty much confirms that it, that we're going to see Luthen's trajectory. Um, that was the big thing about Rolling Stone is that it, they were they were going to. He talks about how in season two, Luthen, we're going to see how complicated things are getting for him as the story goes. Because I honestly feel like right now my take was. Luthen's Luthen's little Coruscant gig could end this episode. Like that's what I thought. I thought like it's it's getting worse, but it sounds like he's so. yeah. Well, you're right. So I guess Rob's always always right. Look at Rob. Oh, I know no, everything no, about no, Studio Ghibli. No. Therefore, uh, no. why don't you why don't you try no. why don't you try surviving in Santa's polls, <clears throat> bud? All right, let's see how you do in Santa's polls. Where the big boys. Rob's boys. wrong. Rob's always wrong. Woo! He's never right. Don't know he's talking. Dad, not the show. <laughs> <All right. laughs> By the way, I forgot about the the um, Wayne's World spoof and stay tuned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Remember when they're demons? I, I was actually it. going to ask you if that was the stay tuned uh, set because it looks like the stay tuned yes. set. And it, okay. Yeah, it's the stay tuned. You can tell by the by the uh, lighting. Um, Oh, by the way, Red Red Letter Media did a um, a a re-review or a review of a Garbage Pail Kids, and in it, they suggest that the Greasy Strangler director make the Garbage (laughs) Pail movie or a Garbage Pail Kids movie today. Well, they also suggested J.J. Abrams make a Star Wars, and well, contentious. Well, I don't (laughs) even apologized. I I don't think that was a wrong call, though. (laughs) That, That wasn't. Getting getting JJ Abrams <laughs> together with Lawrence Kasdan to go write the next Star Wars movie was not a wrong call. Yeah. That was good actually a perfect call. Con- well, it, good industry. Contentious results. Contentious but, results. But at the end of the day, you know, it's what it is. I, I mean, you know what? At the end of the day, they did what the studio wanted them to do, is actually the problem. But um, and I blame them for being. I think out. the Green Knight director should do a Garbage Pail Kids movie. I think the Green Knight director <laughs> should, needs to get on Willow season two. That's what I think. I mean, let's all be honest. (laughs) The Green Knight director should be directing a Star Wars film. Let's just be Mm -hmm. honest. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, I've been called the man Morgan of my time. So I think I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But uh, Madman is what they called you, Jason. Oh, oh, yeah. That was Madman. Not Mad Mardigan. I I, I thought like Mad Mardigan. And that's how I remember. (laughs) When you're drunk, you hear what you want to hear. What you want to hear. Yeah. What you want to hear. But um, no, so so anyways, it goes he goes on basically to confirm that like Luthen is going to be is going to is going to continue on and we're going to see things sort of spiral for him to like some degree. And uh, it, from the way he's talking two things, two two deaths he mentions and uh, that don't happen. 
and the first is Luthen, and he makes it sound like we might we, like like we, we may see Luthen going all the way up to Rogue One. I mean, there's a chance Luthen doesn't even die at this point. I think he will, but but I mean, especially with his his monologues about the sunrises he's never going to see. And uh, Bespin pointed out something to me, and uh, I think we need to we need to do the edit of it. But basically, everything in Luthen's monologue is what Cassian kind of gets. Like in those last minutes of his life, like he see that that sunrise, he gets that sunrise on the beach, and I was like, you know, it's kind of cool when you think about Cass- Cassian's death. He goes basically to Scarif for vacation, and it kind of in a weird, weird, sad, poetic way gets everything he kind of wanted in that last those last few minutes. He's like on the beach, got a beautiful lady with them. He's watching the sunrise. It's like the, the monkey's paws wishes. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you get yeah. it, but then you get vaporized in a nuclear explosion thirty seconds after. Like you did get it, though. And then the one thing that wasn't in those podcasts that he mentions in that article, uh, old uh, what's what's his name? Gino, what's his name? The guy, uh, Andy Circus's character, Kino, Kino, Kino. Uh, he doesn't think Kino's dead, and since he's the god of Andor, that means Kino's not dead. He's all, he's all, we didn't see him. Die. I don't think he's dead. That's not what, that's what he says. So I'm like, okay, so Kino's not dead. Although I would say every single narrative implication is there for him to die or be killed. But I'm, I'm guessing he, he's going to fall in that water and it's going to, you know, a seagull's going to drag him to a buoy or something. I don't know. <laughs> Some, something's going to work out for him. Maybe he jumps in and, and his men save him. Maybe the maybe the the guys you know down there carry Kino to the shore. I don't know, but it sounds like he's going to be back because I don't know why he would say that. If you were, if he considered him dead, he would have written him off. He would have showed him die, I guess, and he would have written him off, and he and he, he didn't. So I kind of think we might see him coming back. Seems to. I don't think I don't think Tony Gilroy cares if there might be a novel with him in it and cares about the legacy of his character on that front enough to say that just to be like. Oh yeah, like like George Lucas saying Mace Windu lives or something, you know. I don't think I don't think we're at, I don't think he's there. So he really but, wants that book deal. <laughs> he would, yeah, yeah. I, I would I'd read anything that guy wrote. He knows he knows Marvel's up for any useless storyline they can just slap a character name on. Yeah. So I I I, I found it interesting too that he was um sort of like the the script critic for House of Cards. Did you did you hear that part? Yeah, yeah, he's done a lot of stuff, dude. That mm-hmm. even that he's not credited on, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean that writer from the guy from House of Cards he, is on this. Look, so he's he's sense. gone from he's gone from the cutting edge to working with Jerry Bruckheimer, Armageddon. Oh shit! <laughs> I just you know, I just thought about that one guy yeah. who always pops in to tell us that Leslie Headland was Weinstein's assistant. It's going to yes. find out that Tony Gilroy wrote with the House of Cards guy who was with the guy from House Cards, who you can't do anything with, from, from Superman well, 4, yeah, 5. Bruckheimer much better. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It's, you got to keep working. That's how it works. You got to yeah. keep working. Yeah, I know. He's got no. range. Topic. Topic. But, um, DB, yeah. DB Sweet. I remember... When the Spawn movie was announced, at, at DB Sweeney, Sweeney got cast as Terry Fitzgerald, who's a, a black man in the comic. 
Mm-hmm. And that was in the 90s. It was like, oh, no, they're replacing. They go, you know, like, you're, <laughs> they, were, they were mad that a white guy was cast in the movie. I'm like, it, you think Hollywood's going to put an all black blank man just tanked? What are you doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. Come on. Plus, it's DB Sweeney. Don't get mad at DB Sweeney. I'm surprised DB Sweeney hasn't ended up in a Marvel film, at least as like a S.H.I.E.L.D. dude or something. Yeah. yeah. One of those guys that sh- should get more work. Some people like Powder, some people like Phenomenon. I'm a Powder guy myself. I got stuck watching Deep Impact on a plane coming back, uh, going to Germany from the mm-hmm. states back to Germany, and uh, I just remember Elijah Wood riding a motorcycle for twenty minutes trying to outrun a flood. Like that was like this is fucking stupid. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know Armageddon's stupid, but at least it knows it's stupid. You know, I like Morgan Freeman as the <laughs> president, but that motorcycle where he's outrunning the apocalypse is just incredibly fucking dumb. Like it's. It's 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 that version of war games you don't want to you don't want to see. You yeah, know? it's kind of like how I feel. You know, at the end, I, I want I want Booger and Matthew Broderick in a Star Wars movie together. How about that? I'll see Curtis Armstrong in anything, <laughs> anything. Yeah, uh, one of the most underrated actors of our generation. Imagine him as like a grumpy old like a like a like a grumpy jerk Yoda. That'd be fun. Grandpa Yoda. Put him in a grandpa if you, lo- film. if you love Baby Yoda, you'll love Grandpa Yoda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of already got that though. Kind of, but I mean, he, you know, he was not really though. He was like a Zen master or something. But um, drinks a girl- lot of Canada Dry. <laughs> but yeah, what 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 were those what were those uh, two podcasts? Do you recall? But both of those. Uh, the Q and A with Gold. Uh, the Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith is uh, really good. There's another one, uh, Soundtracking with Edith Bowman, right? This is yeah. within the last week. And then I recommend the Mark Marin interview with Tony Gilroy that was recently done. Because if you want to find out more about just his his background, like where he grew up in his life. Yeah, right? that's what I and want like, to hear. You're like, he only brought up that music stuff because of that interview. You can see how like in his mind, like that's still fresh in his mind. Yeah. You know? So when yeah. you're like, what is he talking about? You would, you. It makes more sense if you had seen the Marin interview before that. Yeah. He in the in the interview with the on the uh, scoring one, I think he just drops in aircraft carriers out of the blue, and he never did the setup for the aircraft carriers thing on that one. So if you're if you've only ever heard that, he just drops in these aircraft carriers, and you're like, what is he talking about? But he talks about how these streaming shows are like huge aircraft carriers that, that right. they're building, right. and. Uh, so his mind been... when he talks, this is how I think. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I get that. I get that. Yeah. That fragmented, like things are blending into one another because. <clears throat> and I'm sorry. That's okay, but you know. you know, some some of these some uh, when you're working in imagery, you're always working with images out of order. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're never creating in order. Page one all the way yeah. to the end. Yeah, no, no, writing, no, no. You're writing like isn't 36, like that either. 24. Yeah, same thing. Well, even when I'm writing, like, I, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not the same. But you're still, when you're writing, you're seeing the images. You know what I mean? So they're always fragmented like dreams, sparsed in and out. So you're kind of going in and out of whatever. And when people, it's like, that's what I feel like the host's job is to piece that together. <laughs> and when the host was going, oh, yeah, it's great. It's awesome. You're like, this is not your job. I could do that. Like anyone could do that. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I've actually listened to a bunch of his interviews now um, over time. And you could tell a lot of people are intimidated by him. And he's such a smart dude sure. that you kind of just like yeah. let him go. And they, you know, like on the, the uh, first, the first show that you recommended, 
that guy asks really long, articulate questions. I think he, I think he's speaking his questions longer though than Tony Gilroy's talking in some of them. But you could tell, like, eventually Tony Gilroy, Tony Gilroy's just like, like what? Like he's not rude, he's not angry, but he, like I was telling you, he's like such a smart guy. Like if you ask that guy, like, oh, how do you start your daily routine? He'll just be like, what? <laughs> like he doesn't know how. Yeah, to- but that's his format. He doesn't yeah. know the format of the show. Like he tends. To, yeah, it's always Jeff's format is about screenwriting. So he always says, "What's your routine? What's your how? Yeah, how did you start your habit? Yeah, it was as a clever way of doing that. So you know, yeah. But Jeff and um, but but the the uh, I think like like a couple of really big takeaways from that interview is that he he says like at the the interviewer ask ask him so you wrote the final episode of the season and he's just like yeah but he's like that's not how this works. Like he's basically right. saying, like it literally doesn't matter that I wrote the last episode. Whatever you're trying to like, like confer there, it's irrelevant because of the way that it, the writers' room between him and his his partner. That's were. true, on pretty much every show, and mm-hmm. that's like like Mark Bernardin was talking about this uh, years ago on, on when they were going through on a uh, Kevin Smith when they do the the Wolfman the has Batman Bernard show. Sorry, yeah, and they were talking about like when they were going over the He Man stuff, like. And Kevin's like, oh, this is the episode you wrote. He's like, yeah, but you know, like, it's we broke the stories. And then each one gets outlined, right? As a group, you break the story, you figure out all the stuff you're going to do. One gets assigned to you. But even when you write that episode, it then gets head back, it gets handed back to the showrunner. And then Kevin will write over that stuff and then hand it back. And then, and then there's this, you know? And then, so everything gets even though one gets the credit for that episode because that's how the screw the guild works the screenwriters guild works it's still many hands you know that go through yeah. that process yeah yeah and uh, i was gonna pull it up but i can't now because the computer's being slow um they're they brought in another writer a new writer for season two added to the mix nobody's i don't think anybody's gone but somebody else has come in but, well, they're um, shooting, and that means someone someone needs to write now. I mean, when I say or, write, I mean write right now. Like they're they're writing those scripts, so it's like, uh, hey, man, you know, like <laughs> you know, bring in someone who's not just available know, but can work fast. You know, he said COVID saved them. It sound sounded like well, I mean, it gives you more time, right? Well, no, yeah, but so, that's but but that's literally his word was COVID saved us because I was he says like basically he was really far behind. And then when yeah. they when they got that break, um, and all those in, those little well, JJ said between. the same thing about Harrison Ford getting injured. He's like, yeah, I bought us some time yeah. actually. Like it's like oh, yeah. all conspiracy theories abound. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I can tell you it, it did it did change a lot. He did change a lot, but he also lost the raid guys coming back in that. So yeah, I, I wish the raid guys had. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they. It's but you know, it's just a missed opportunity. Gilray, the raid guys are available. Go get them. True. Yeah. <laughs> them get them for season two. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the uh, the more that like I'm like listening to him talk about this stuff and enjoying the accolades he's received for it compared to anything he says like he's got more accolades for this than anything he's ever done in his life and and stuff. I I don't think he'll be back next year, but I think he might be back eventually. It's sounding like, and we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll have to see how we how we, how it goes after season two of Andor, what what that experience is like, and how it all how how it all sits after. But I kind of I kind of not necessarily counting him out for for future stuff down the road. 
I put it at like if it's 50 50 it's 51 percent more likely than you know like I don't yeah. put it in the 60 or 70 percent but if he enjoys ultimately the work just needs a break because it's a tremendous could do some other stuff yeah. and come back then you know it's crazy though he, he never gets mentioned on the board and stuff because of the director the directors get all the credit right on a film and that's that's something that um Ridley Scott famously said once when you know he someone had thanked him for they were like great thank you Scott. for crediting me for for the part I did in the movie he's like oh that, that's great it doesn't matter because at the end of the day whether you do a good job or bad I get the credit if the film's great I get the credit mm -hmm. if the film's bad I get the credit <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and same with the showrunner because he's running the show people go Tony Gilroy wrote that and you're like yeah but like that's not the credited writer and yes he did but he didn't you know what I mean? it's just mm -hmm. it's just how we are you have to go with the credits at the end of the day because that's how it works but yeah he's finally getting you know i think that recognition you know the thing though is most people when they find <coughs> a musician or a writer or an artist that they like they always go well i want to see more of what they did and if you go right into Michael Clayton, you may not be looking. You know, Star Wars to Michael Clayton <laughs> or Star Wars. I always recommend if you love this show, just go watch The Cutting Edge. You know, just go watch that. That's actually more Star Wars -y than you think. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it's got a an uppity princess, a know it all, <laughs> yeah. with the with the rogue guy. You know, like <laughs> well, players. Gil Gil Gilroy talks a bit about how about how like, uh, as a white guy. He studies. He likes history. As an old yeah, white guy, I'm old white guy. History. I like history. Yeah, yeah. and um, and uh, but in it, like, I don't. He didn't explicitly say it when I, I went back to the court because I was going to pull it because I thought it was like very powerful. But as I listened back to it, I feel like there was implication, but I but it may be may be wrong. I don't want to like mislead anybody or misquote the guy, even in my paraphrasing. But it did seem like he was sort of saying there was a lot of that he likes to study revolutions. It's sort of like his hobby and that it, he was basically using a lot of his hobby to tell this story. And it sounded like there was a lot of stuff in there that he wasn't going to be able to get to. And that's what made me go, sure. Oh, that might be, that might be the genesis of another idea. Also something I found really peculiar that he said, he was talking about Bodhi Rook and he kind of, I think he kind of gave away something in his thinking and he said, yeah, or like, you know, maybe like tell like, he's all, we could have got at any of the Rogue One characters to tell the story. And he was like, Jen would have been obviously really interesting. He's all, or like Bodhi Rook, which would have been much more domestic. I thought that was really like, the like pilot? telling. Yeah. I When I think of the, of, a, of the pilot, Bodhi Rook defecting from the Empire after he meets Galen Urso and knows what they're doing. I don't think of a domestic story. So that tells us something about where, where his mind blows. is. So maybe Whistle he has like a wife and stuff and he's like happy to go, like, I got to tell this, this thing. And maybe, you know, I, I don't know. Or she's like, yeah, don't do it. Or she's like, do it or whatever it happens to be. But yeah, just the fact that he saw it in right. that way was, was interesting. Yeah. End of note to me. Anyway. Also, you, you were bringing up accelerationism was the term that he accelerationist and accelerationist. And let me yeah. tell you where I learned that phrase from mm -hmm. it was doing deep dives years ago on a movie called batman begins mm -hmm. because jason this movie you don't like uh features a character called raz al ghul who slowly throughout the centuries had used slow incremental means well, in which wait, to destroy wait. societies i to like rebuild it. them i like right? it i just don't need it i just want to get to <laughs> except the batman, so. 
with Gotham City, they tried something new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were yeah. going to accelerate how bad things got to force Gotham to eat itself and tear itself mm-hmm. apart to then rebuild, which is accelerationism. It's a form of it's there in the movie. And uh, and uh, I'm I'm pretty convinced. I mean, he says you could figure it out, but I'm pretty con- pretty convinced that Gilroy Gilroy says he writes from an apolitical place. He starts apolitical. He doesn't go out to try to like put somebody through the ringer or anything like that. But when this guy's talking about when he's, he's using that and he's talk, talking about the dialectic that's being used and stuff, I think I think he's a Marxist personally. It definitely sounds like it. I, I wish somebody would just straight up ask him, "Are you Marxist?" <laughs> you know what I mean? But I don't know what he would say. But but it, it kind of does seem like he is very into m- Marxist theory, anyways. And uh, the accelerationist. He also thing, makes though, a really good actual terminology really good itself is newer though. That being right, but I, I when newer. it. But but the right, but, but, I, but he, was, as he says, the concept is thousands of years old. We've he's, you see it throughout history all the time. Correct, but there was a deep dive I read. I want to say less than ten years ago that had used that term in relationship to what Razal Ghul was doing. It, it was using that phrase to explain in one word the term, and that's the first I ever heard of accelerationism. But I doubt yeah. Gilroy's reading about the um, intricacies of Batman Begins. So like, <laughs> I'm just yeah, going to go to Lynn and I, say he ain't, he ain't doing it. Um, <laughs> what was it? Damn it, you threw me off. Oh, there's something else he said in the interview I thought was really good. When It was a Jeff Goldsmith one when he was talking about, you know, this relates to our times with Trump, this and that. And he would go, yeah, but if if this had come out 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you're going to see the same thing then and there mm-hmm. and i think that's the one thing lucas has always been pretty good at too like you know if you if it's too contemporary if it's a one-to-one it doesn't work you know if you if you've got and where you're able to throw in multiple historical moments and bits is when you have a different viewpoint so in this series we have three or four different viewpoints and each one is going through something that could be placed at a different timeline in, in historical relevancy right but as opposed to say one thing with one character is going through one situation now and then you could say well that means it's about now or it's about vietnam because it's the one thing when you have multiple povs you're able to then um vary the vary the the diet or uh, muddle the water right. i don't know what the term you mean you know what i mean like give you more variety but yeah the, the, the oh whole, great the whole... no movie can't wait right. yeah they're never <laughs> this is this is your fan theory yeah. i don't know this is... like a it's not theory. It's my recommendation. <laughs> yeah. It's not my theory. This is your theory. Whatever. Hey, great! Can't wait. Seriously, I got yeah. that didn't sound like I was like, "Can't let That's going wonderful. Just all right. <laughs> we got we got two things to. And if if I I know you want to see a movie, if at any point it goes in a place where you got to take off, just by all means, you know, just just go. But um, no, Best no, no. I, I got says, at least another thirty minutes. I can do okay. Bestman has this article saying. The Mandalorian season four rumored to start production in early 2023, which well, there's there's been some stuff about it. Back in August, the same outlet um, claimed, wait, Production Weekly. The third season of The Mandalorian is yet to be released, but the latest issue of Production Weekly has provided an update on The Mandalorian season four. Back in August, the same outlet um, claimed the production on this series was due to start at the tail end of September, which didn't come to fruition and in more recent weeks rumbling has state has started that the mandalorian season four could start filming this month as ahsoka is due to wrap sometime this month if it hasn't already and members of the production crew have teased going back to work 
However, in the latest Production Weekly issue, claims that production will start within the first quarter of the next year, first three months of 2023, meaning the November rumors were likely. <laughs> that's that's a production tax. That's a money thing. Like you got to yeah. move around different quarters. Yeah. And and the, yeah, the, they yeah, they classically always really began around October. So currently both the Silicon Skeleton crew are filming. Uh-huh. They've got three things in active production right now. You know, yeah, and so yeah, it might, it might not be the possible. Money works out. Plus, plus with the their stock taking a little bit of a dip, thanks to Paychecks' uh, wondrous leadership, uh, yeah, moving it to the beginning of the first the first quarter, quote unquote, was right. a smart move. Currently, both Ahsoka and Skeleton Crew are both filming at Manhattan Beach Studios in California, with Ahsoka also filming at the train yard set located in El Segundo. The former is is scheduled to wrap filming sometime this month, with many supporting cast members also wrapped. And Skeleton Crew is supposedly due to wrap filming next month. Both Ahsoka and Skeleton Crew are due to release next year, along with the third season of The Mandalorian, which was reported to premiere on February 32nd, according to MakingStarWars.com. And uh, so there we go. So, yeah, on on that one, on on that whole thing with it starting, I mean, it's it's a good indication. So we'll we'll, ha- we'll have to see what happens because... It could also be a, a totally different production, which is just always something just to keep in mind. I mean, we did have Favreau going like, "These are I'm writing four already," so we had had indications they weren't doing Book of Boba Fett, and they were going right into season season four of of Mando. But there's always the chance of something else, and it's just going to be using Mando's crew or production lines or setup. We've seen that happen before. Sometimes people people will think that they're going in for a casting call on Mando. They don't know what it is. Then they think it's Mando, and then it's like, oh, I'm on Skeleton Crew. So, I, I, I'm a. I, we'll have to see if, if if another indication happens. What? Ah, shit! I'm on Skeleton Crew. Ah. Oh shit! I'm on Skeleton Crew. <laughs> ah, uh, Spider Man guy. <laughs> I need chunk. Oh shit! I wanted to, I wanted to be on the Iron Man guy thing, not the Spider Man guy. I mean, but the Iron Man guy is in the Spider Man movies. Ah, well, okay, got me there. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this. This was the. This was a, one of the interviews I wanted to get to, and thank you for reminding me, Mike. Um, Tony Garoy is in this one and it's just the greatest freaking thing not, Gilroy says with the mask not popping up if you're trying to put the thing up no i wasn't trying but i will now okay i'm infallible I, I never make i never make I never mistakes. know i'm just it's either i bring it up or i don't jason which one i'm really good at this i never mess up <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we won't go through it. so he says uh I'm trying to find a gear to accept all of this, not just affirmation, but this just this much engagement with the audience. I mean, look, I spent my whole life in a room alone. That's what we do. There's no crying about it, but it's very satisfying to even see people argue about the show. So, by the way, every time I see Cyril Karn played by Kyle Soller, his name sounds like a Star Wars character. It's it's yeah. very hard. Soller. Solar. Yeah, Kyle yeah, it Sol- has that. Yeah. Solar, yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's K S K and then K S. Like it's almost like a anime, anime, anagram, anagram, You know the thing. Yeah. Spell it backwards for him, you know. So we got Dan Gilroy anagram. from Nightcrawler, Bo Willimon, 
House of Cards, right with them. Uh, but while Andor spins as complex a narrative web as Star Wars has ever seen, it is also crucially arousing, tautly drawn thriller. The season has been grouped into three episode pods that tell a single overarching story. The the police the failed police raid on Cassian's adopted home planet of Ferrix after Cassian kills two security officers on Morlana One, the robbery of an Imperial payroll vault on the sleepy planet of Aldani. What he said, by the way, when he was talking in that other interview, he said it was supposed to have thousands. They wanted they wanted to have hundreds of extras for that, not just like some extras. It's like they they saw this as like a big like Ben Hur kind of thing, and he's like, we couldn't get the people into the vans to drive them up there with COVID and stuff, so it was just impossible. He's also we had to go with it, making it even sadder, and they're all dead now. So, anyways, Luthen uh, recruits. Yeah, that's what a, I figured. Remember when he was? I told you he had done an interview. Yeah, he already told me to, about it. Yeah, he had done. He had alluded that there was. A, there's a scene that we're doing. And we wanted it to be bigger, but it was smaller due to COVID. I'm like, that's the Aldani. <laughs> like, like you could yeah. do that math pretty quick. You know, like I was like, I bet you that's the Aldani, and then they just killed them all. Yay, shit. Yeah. And any any um inferred that they even wrote like more music for them and stuff that they never got to use, it sounded like because they didn't Nicholas do anything with Patel them. has said there's two hundred hours of music. Right. Not even not like not bits, actual amount. <laughs> Somewhere between hundred and two hundred hours of music that let's be honest, a lot of a lot of it is just like his jam band. Like, you know what I mean? He's like he he just takes some shrooms and kind of just like goes off Jealous. on a little odyssey. So a little jealous. bit, a little bit. I'm <laughs> Jason's like so jealous. <laughs> I, I can I wanna, tell. <laughs> I want to trip out. And, I want to trip out and, want, and write Star Wars music can, with with. Yeah, um, I know. I, I knew it. I could draw it out of you. But then everybody will hate me because I'll be. I'll be like this week on Andor. He's a rebel spy, super best friend. Like, what is this, this song bullshit? is broke, Jason. It says Bix doesn't climb, but in season two, she tells him to climb. This, this is a broke song. This is, this is dumb. You're going to have to make climb special edition when she says climb, by the way, just so you know. Because <laughs> you're going to have to fix it. James kind of pointed can't out break your that, own song canon. that she climbs the ladder and the thing, and I could have used it. I was like, fuck you, James. Um, that, last, <laughs> that last story. Yeah. It's good. James. I, I liked it. You, 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 you. I want to give them Nestle's bar. You, you earned it. Yeah, you, you earned it. Gilroy laughs off a question about what the final organizing genre will be for the season, but he does allow that there will be a convergence of the show's disparate storylines in the final two episodes, which he wrote, which once again we know is kind of irrelevant. Uh, taking a brief respite from preparing the imminent start of production on season two at Pinewood Studios in London. Gilroy spoke to Variety for a candid and wide-ranging conversation about the show's surprisingly obscure references, Star Wars lore, creating the first full-fledged same-sex couple in Star Wars, and what he makes of the fan reaction to the show's overtly political tone and its belief that everybody's faking it in the new streaming economy. Uh-oh, everybody's faking it. Oh, look at him right here, trying to look like Taika Waititi. You're not Taika Waititi. Stop pretending. So um, he's all, he's all, you know, so that they're all, let's start broadly. How did you approach the cast? When Taika, when Taika's hanging out with two, two, two ladies on the set, Gilroy's hanging out with Merva and yeah. Mama. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, <laughs> right. So, maybe, so. maybe he like looked over and like he saw Bix, he saw Merva. 
someone on Mothma, and he said, looked at, looked over at a picture of Saul. He's hanging Saul, out with he, what his contemporary was doing. Is all go to go to that store and get me those clothes. I need to dress just like this guy. So, anyways, he's hanging out with with Bimo and K two. <laughs> you know so, where he's going to end up. <laughs> so he so we want to take him as far away as we possibly can to begin uh, to show his origin story. So this first half of the show was in my mind called the education of Cassie and Endor. They wrote Endor. Um, how do you take somebody from being a d- disillusioned, cynical, self-interested loser to becoming a com- committed to something and understanding what they're committed to? We uh, knew like me. <laughs> we knew what the final <laughs> scene of the whole season would be. It's not like there's an algorithm, but you know, in- intuitively, well. He's going to have to go through quite an emotional, philosophical, educational odyssey. He's yeah. learning what the rebellion means from multiple intake delivery systems. How many of those can we have and how dramatic can we make them? How can we put that in an adventure story so it doesn't feel it's the lesson of the week? That's the goal. I like that right there. It doesn't feel like it's the lesson of the week. That's that's what right. that's when Star Wars gets really cringy, and that's a very Dave Filoni kind of kind of thing. And I do agree with it's Star that, Wars being a parable and, and a lesson, but it does it shouldn't feel like a lesson of the week. Like, oh, we're all a family. I hate that in Rebels. I want to feel the problem, that's our family, not be told it. Mm-hmm. It's the problem with serialized uh, LA animation, mm-hmm. specifically made for kids. You know, like yeah. when you're like every it's it's almost like if you go back, if you take it out of the context of Rebels or Clone Wars and you go back 10, 15 years before that, it's like an episode of D Space Nine where I had to teach you something in that one episode because we got a bunch of these to fill, you know? Yeah. So as opposed to a continuous storyline done through an entire season where you can have themes pop in and out. But when it's like, here's the beginning, here's the end, and it has the theme because it's the rhythm of the show and the cadence of the thing. And then, you know, but your audience is 50, 50, 50, 50% four-year-olds, 50% 40 year olds <laughs> Half your right. audience is like, this shit. Fucking like, the 20-year-olds are nowhere to be found. <laughs> <laughs> so they asked about other examples to draw on to be counterpoint too. So, I mean, you put you put prison on the table and everybody's just like, well, there's a high bar. How many absolutely astonishing prison movies are there? If we're going to do the heist, it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> After listening to Dan Harmon take the heist apart on Rick and Morty, you're like, okay, what are we going to do? So the whole goal <laughs> is to try to turn you everything watch up, upside down. <laughs> you're really excavating for originality all the way down the line. And then hopefully you can't be too original at the expense of your story. But that's the first motivation is how do you turn the inside out so people haven't seen it before? I think he said in another interview, that's where the electric floors came in. That somebody said electric floor. So so let's look at the first three episodes you wrote. And then he's talking about Canary and Ferrix. So um, there are no real adults around, but we see a massive strip mining operation on Canary that's been abandoned. Uh, you get the sense that there's there was some sort of uh, catastrophic accident. But so much of what really happened is left to our imagination. Is that something that you had that you had filled in for yourself? It says, yes, I have the answers to that, but I'm not going to get into it. There was a very articulated version of it, and then it was cut out for different reasons. But it does exist. So we had our own confidence of logic about it. But whatever, but whenever anybody writes it for themselves, they can write, doesn't matter. 
So he's not going to tell us. But yeah, and that's just economy of story. You know, like you got 12, mm-hmm. 12 episodes. You know, what are we doing? You know, and you have all those things figured out. It's like yeah. they had to figure out the whole logistics of the prison, how it works, how everything works, how far down does it go? How does each floor work? To all just to, to figure out how to get out of it. You know, explaining that to you in the show, yeah, you can do that, but that doesn't actually make the scenes better or more tenseful or anything, you know? So yeah. you have to have the characters then operate within the confines of that so that they know that that's how the world works, you know? That it's that's working within the boundaries and within the rules of your, your show. So those characters on the planet, the kids, they're all acting in continuity with that event. It's not just that they knew it and there's an image back there. They're actually adhering to that world that was affected by that you know right like, so yeah he talks about 1313 that is coruscant coruscant goes down george lucas worked on a project for a decade that was lower coruscant i think it was a film and a series and they tried to do a video game i don't know the whole story of it but there's an incredible amount of work that went into lower coruscant it goes down <laughs> so Jeez. So what? What? That's what he said. Can can, can help yourself. So no, I wasn't even making a joke. He says it goes down. He literally says that. Yes. So what was your experience like um, inter- interfacing with Star Wars lore? When we talked in August. My impression was you weren't uh, in depth. Sorry, excuse me, a deep dish fan. And yeah, yeah, this show is filled. Chicago pizza sucks. <laughs> right. Sorry. I have a bunch of resources. I have a Pablo Hidalgo. He'll say anything for me. I have a Pablo Hidalgo who's the curia in the Vatican at Lucasfilm. I know him from Rogue One. Wikipedia is a tool that one has to really learn how to use because there are at least four different kinds of canon that I can describe. There's the movie canon. Meg there's does the, the feeling. There's the movie canon plus <laughs> the cartoon canon. Then there's the novelized. Yeah, he's saying this and yeah. he's not even, he's not right though. What he's saying isn't right. That's right. what, no, no he's, he's not. Right. That's not how he's Wikipedia right. works. Wikipedia does not it's work this works. way. That's not how Wikipedia works. It has two tabs, canon and non-canon. Once, yeah, once you learn it, he says you have to learn how to use it. So once he knows, and that canon shifts. There's always shifting. Yeah. That's, 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 it shifts on the show. His his background, <coughs> and Nestor had to change. He changed that too. So it's always changing. You mean Fest? By the way, I do want Fest. Thank you. Um, I get confused with Infant's Nest or whatever the fucking name is. So... um. Something else I pointed out. I was Fuck rewatching. You. Yeah, 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 yeah what? No. <laughs> it's all I hear, bro. It's all I hear. So <laughs> it's nest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's all I, that's basically what they're doing. So <laughs> a Star Wars show for babies. Infants nest. Yeah. 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 Look, Muppet Babies had Star Wars in it. Why can't that? So um then the the scene when Luthen's talking to uh to, to Lenny. Um I just wanted to point out some details in that scene that I thought were lacking in when I when we we're watching the Kenobi episode when he goes to uh, the Blade Runner planet, and I was saying that I get that they're on a set, but the use of not just smoke machines kind of would help, uh, but also wind. Wind is lacking. If you're standing there and there's a breeze, as there would be in the middle of the fucking night in the middle of a Blade Runner planet, Kenobi's cloak would move. And if you see Luthen when he's just standing there talking to him, his fucking cloak moves. Because there's fucking airway. There's air moving through that environment. You know? Like, this little shit like that matters. Just the same. Just saying. Yeah. Um, 
He goes you can on see and, smoke in the background. It's actually pipes. Or it's the world's alive. It's moving. And there's smoke on the water. Fire in the sky. Sorry. It's active. Um, Just wanted to point that out. He goes on to basically to say that like people at Pinewood are big nerds and they hid stuff in the backgrounds and he didn't know what it was, which is what we've been assuming the whole time. You know, he's not putting Padme's headdress in there and be like, "Hey, that's a thing." He doesn't care. He doesn't know. And then and then they asked they asked about the the. Rekaten invaders. He's all that was in the script. That's dialogue. If it's dialogue, we're in charge of it. He says that that rolling or um, variety says. So you went on Wikipedia and you're like, I need something extremely old. And then he says, or something that's <laughs> applicable. I can't source the, the the provenance. I don't know if I called Pablo and said, Hey, you got something? Or I found something online and called him and say, Hey, can I use this? Is this going to be cool? Or has this been retconned already? Yeah. Hey. So. But once again, he he's I think he's he's what what's happened here is they've told. He's like, I Gilroy, thought they blew up Coruscant no, in The Force Awakens. No, like, no, no, that was Hazian Prime. No, no, that oh, was okay, that was okay. it was never in the in the scripts. It was never it was never her. <laughs> okay. It never made it that far. But um, they're encouraging him to mind Legends expanded universe content, and and that's where the the disconnect is is at in this thing between what he's saying and what the fans are going to hear because the fans are going to hear this all wrong. They're going to get all fucking confused. And what, it, what, what they're doing is they're like, they're like, don't discount stuff. What if an E 11 blaster is what the stormtroopers gun is called. And that comes from EU legends and it's, but it's now Canon. But so they're like, mine that stuff, use that stuff, use Han Solo at stars end for a planet name or for, a location or whatever like they're like use it it's that stuff's not canon but they're basically telling him to pull from all star wars lore to, to build stuff and he's taking it like and then he knows about the old way that canon used to work and 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 i still think the one canon that it is sort of silently exists is g canon though and that's where it's like if if but if george made it it's on if it's george's intention it's it's taken into high account but of course they will break g canon that wasn't produced. Han Solo will oh, just okay. miraculously move out the way of a shot, whether he's moving his body or not. He'll just slide. That's Jake. Right. Um, that's yeah, about, <laughs> about the um, same-sex relationship. Cannon fire. He says, "Man, about the same-sex relationship. Man, it was really a gesture. There wasn't any controversy at all from the very beginning. No one ever said we couldn't do it. No one ever said, oh, God, please do it.' Our whole attitude is that just another relationship." I mean, it's one of the least complicated relationships of the show. If you consider Dedra and Cyril, or Cyril and Edie, or Perrin and Mon Mothma, their marriage, we did not want it to be performative in any way. There's things we can't do. I mean, we have standards and practices. We can't have sex. There's a level of violence that we can't have. There's limits on what we can do. We can't do some things that we would want to do, but within <laughs> that, we're cool. So. And so it sounds like making a bit of history. He's all no, really no. In the blur of the whole thing, it's just like this is really cool. I was a little bit naive about that. He's all so you can't show sex, but you certainly imply it. The show opens in a brothel, and there's a post-coital scene in episode two. He's all I wrote that as a challenge. I wrote the first three episodes before we hit the writers' room. We were still tiptoeing into the relationship with Disney. Is it going to be just a development thing, or are we really going to do this? So I definitely was like, hey, man, this is what I want to do. Can you take this? There's a little bit of a challenge about it. <coughs> so then they go on to say, one tweet that we went pretty viral said Andor was 
fiercely anti-cop and that anti-prison industrial complex. The show is about revolution against an oppressive regime. These things are certainly there, but how does it work out in your head? And he says, I have my politics, my worldview, which probably leaks out into my work in different ways. But I don't start with an agenda for a show like this. Same thing what I said in the other, other interview. My agenda is the characters. I've been reading history for the last 20 years. I'm an old white guy. Uh-oh, we're getting a toothy Sarlacc moment here. <laughs> what, what, what do I we do? Feeling. Yeah, we listen to history podcasts. This is exactly the same quote. Dan There's Carlin. a great revolution podcast. History I mean, I've been studying in the Russian Revolution for 15 years. All these books that are here in this room. So revolution, oppression, slavery, imperialism, colonialism, they go back 3,000 years. And a show like this, the great thing is you don't have to be contemporary. You can drop the needle from any place. You want to do the Haitian revolution for a minute? You want to do the Russian revolution for a minute? I'm cherry picking everything that I know about all of those topics. And if anything lands contemporaneously, it's just like the mirror. It's not a sneaky answer either. I'm not trying to make a commentary on contemporary politics. It's funny watching because I have seen some of the stuff. People try to twist themselves to get on either side of the conversation. To me, that's why this turned out to be such a great place for me to be right now because I can talk about anything and not get in trouble. So have you um, how have you thought about the show has been has been presented in the world and what and he says in what sense? They say, I think the show has been a bit of a sneak attack for a lot of viewers. I don't know if it's as big of a deal going in as 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 it has felt while watching it. And he says, I'm very pleased with what they did. The materials are great. I think I was surprised. I thought the show would go the other way, that we would have this gigantic instantaneous audience that would just be everywhere, but that it would take forever for non-Star Wars people or critics or my cohort of friends to get involved in the show. The opposite happened. We ended up with all this critical praise, all this deep appreciation and understanding from a really surprising number of sources, and we're chasing the audience. And by the Star way, Star Wars fans ran away because it featured a Hispanic man, and it doesn't have Jedi powers, and I'm not interested in it. And it doesn't have Clone Wars lore. And it doesn't have tentacles in the head. No, did you say Hispanic? We say Latinx on this show. Sorry. Um, you no, can't. Uh, they have their own. No, the, the, the no, Latinx no. men have their own show on Robert Meyer oh. That's the thing. Um. Anyways, uh, I don't even know can't who that is. That. But um. I know. What, I know. what I was I gonna say. What I was gonna say was. Uh, <laughs> oh, I had, some, I had something to, to, to add. I know. I God. ruined it. You know, Jason. Probably it was important too. You half fucking, the jokes. Give it half of the important God. jokes you've made today. You ruined, I probably you saved you. you no, I it. saved you an embarrassing moment for certain. <laughs> you, ru- you ruined the show for for you ru- certain. You broke the show. I'll say this. Everything. Uh, oh, 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 yeah. That's true. He confirmed that they were like, oh fuck, about. Um, game of thrones and the amazon lord of the ring show oh actually i'm gonna get ahead of myself he's gonna say it down here on the bottom never mind we're getting there and everybody is faking he says yeah everybody's faking it about streaming this is an entirely new business everybody's trying to figure it out you have business affairs trying to pretend with streaming that they understand it and how artists should get paid and we're going to have a whole bunch of labor issues that are going to come up because of that no one's ever launched these aircraft carriers before these gigantic shows i mean our show has a budget we're tight but there are shows out there with, without budgets, really. I mean, there's some things going out there that are just like, holy crap. So he's all two of those of uh, varieties, like two of those events, the Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, 
and the Game of Thrones prequel House of the Dragon debuted right when Andor was originally supposed to premiere in late August. I never heard about it until like the end of July. I was like, oh boy, that's funky. Maybe we should move our date. <laughs> and then they're like, we're going to move our date. I mean, it's not like the old movie business where everybody was doing something for the 100th time. Everything is brand new. I think it's really fascinating. I'm really happy I live long enough to be a part of it. The only thing I don't like is people pretending as if they know what they're doing or pretending as if this business is, is as usual because it's just not. Do you feel the same way? Right. And then, so, so when your insider friends say, oh, this is how things are done, Rob, I'm like, we're in a different world now, buddy. You uh, know, and go talk to Gilroy about it. Yeah, you, you know what Gilroy said? Mandalorian as a movie is a stupid <laughs> fucking idea because streaming's the future. These are aircraft carriers, bitch. That's what he said. No, make a make a movie on a fucking budget is what he'd say. Stop putting two hundred fifty million dollars into something with with a Skywalker in it just because you think it's gonna work. You know, I I just got a text message from Gilroy. He said, uh, "You take my battleship, but this is a fucking aircraft carrier, bitch." Never underestimate his deep, insightful knowledge of the Hasbro revolution. <laughs> the Hasbro. Revolution. Oh, you're talking about the great. Come on, I bring nothing. I bring great nothing to the show. <laughs> the right. day when General Ken- Kenner fell. Uh, yeah, completely. <laughs> that was a sad day. <laughs> yeah, was. Could, uh, oh, man. The, I'm not a big fan of the toys that made us because the, the people who make it are real assholes. But um, the, when they're interviewing the Kenner guys and they're just the defeat in their eyes are still there. You know, and I, <laughs> I've been there when a great studio <clears throat> falls. You're like, fuck, man. Just, mm-hmm. Damn. Damn. So Variety goes on to say, and now you're about to start launching your second aircraft carrier with season two of Andor. When we talked in August, you said you didn't think you would do something else with Star Wars after you'd finished the show. Do you see yourself doing anything like, though, with like another legacy franchise? And he says, if I said something that was definitive before, you must have caught me half drunk or something. (laughs) I'm trying to survive this. It's another two years. I'm not complaining, but it's a it's just a motherfucker amount of work, man. <laughs> and it just never ends. And um, we have these T-shirts now for everybody in Pinewood with a line from Rogue One, One Way Out. The one way out is is we have to do the next 12. I would really love to come to the, ne- to the end of it and be healthy and invigorated and try to think about what to do. But part of me thinks I'll probably be in a fetal position someplace for a few months. I'm trying to get to february where all the scripts will be tight and all the directors will be in play that's my goal line so look at what he's saying right here february so so production's beginning but it sounds like they're just going to be they're just building a lot it doesn't sound like they're actually filming it sounds like they're all like doing prep and rehearsal and stuff yeah but they did this this interview wasn't conducted yesterday you know i mean it's probably two weeks ago but I'm trying to get to February where all my scripts will, will be tight and the directors will be in play. Uh, well, this is something else he does describe. Mm-hmm. And um, I think in the, I, th- I think it might've been the Edith Bowman episode. I can't, in one of those interviews where he was there, I think she was talking about the volume, right? And he was talking about the volume shows versus what they're doing. And he's like, look in the volume show, everything is what you've said, Jason. It's a tremendous amount of pre-production. Everything has to be made before yeah. the show films he's like that ain't how we do it here we couldn't right. even do that here we make it and then everything gets put you know in the back end <laughs> yeah. you know like so he's just doing things 
the way they would do them trad- traditionally. You know, yeah, so. he admitted to using LED walls. That was like his. Yeah, well, I mean, brain, how else? But, I mean, yeah, yeah, but that's like when you're in when you're in Mon Mothma's apartment, uh, she's sitting I, there I, and you got some course with some shit flying by. You don't, you know. Yeah, I'm not saying it's bad. Yeah. I'm not saying you know. I'm saying yeah. like it's smart. I mean, it's just like no different than rear projection. You know, yeah, exactly. Projection. Which is what they did on Rogue One or any of those. Like when they're in the cockpit and lights coming through, it's a it's a that was LED the pro- projection. That that was like the proto for the volume in certain ways when they built that. That was a big deal when they first built that. That like that yeah. gimbal setup with with those screens for yeah, that was brilliant. That oh was yeah, great. yeah, it looks good. I, I'm, I'm I like how it looks, but yeah, I I, I love I love Gilroy. I I mean he's he is very he's super smart and uh, he seems like a like like an actual human, you know. A lot a lot of these. Yeah, you're gonna like people. the Mark Marin interview because you'll find yeah. out the human experience there too. But between you know his mm-hmm. brothers too, man, the, the whole family is just interesting. Yeah, interesting. It is weird. I heard him talk about his brother, and he's praising his brother. Two, but brothers. he's yeah, it was praising one of his brothers in one of the instances. Justin, I think, and it was sounded like he was the editor. But yeah, it was like it was like it was weird. You could tell he's able to divorce the occupation. He's able to separate the brother to the occupation. And just like see the guy as as that like artistic person in that occupation on that project in this instance, and I was like, I just thought it was interesting. It was just in the in his wording and his vernacular, and considering what an articulate writer he is, I have to think that is on purpose. That 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 is that it is him. It is how he sees his family, or I don't know the people he's working with. Yeah, I mean they've yeah, working cool. together for so long. I I have friends that I that I've were friends with before I was working full time as an artist, and then I've mm-hmm. worked with them at different studios, mm-hmm. and then I come out, and then you know when someone asks me a question, what about this person? It's like, am I talking about, you know, like in the realm of an art? Oh, it's like they're like this. As a friend, they're the totally different person, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> totally different. You know what I mean? I don't. They're, they're takes. As a friend, they're flaky. They ne- they have yeah. bad takes, and they don't they don't show up half the time. But to work, they always show up. <laughs> and they never seem to have money when we're at Jack in a Box. Never, uh-huh. for yeah. some reason. You know, so I guess oh. I gotta pay. I mean, that's that's a good thing about going to Jack in the Box with you or hungry, hungry Hugh Jackman or whatever. Hungry Jack. I think it's called hungry, hungry Hugh Jackman. Is that right? Yeah. No. He eats a lot All of right. chicken breast. So you, you're you're going to a movie today, huh? Yep, we gotta get going, man. I gotta yeah, go see Black that, Panther. That's what I'm saying. We gotta mask up. It's 3D, so I'm gonna have my glasses plus their glasses. I got the double glasses. I got the nine nine five. I'm not touching nothing. You know, I'm going. To, I'm gonna look like the Riddler. Everyone, you know, wear everyone wrap on in this head. chat knows though that you're not going to see that movie. You're doing a dry run for Pandora. That's what this yeah. is. This well, is like like you're like, second this is like dry, a run. So dry this run. run. The first dry run was the Avatar, right? the re-release mm-hmm. and that was just to test the theater what times would people be there not be there mm-hmm. right this is uh what will something look like on a big opening weekend right right that everyone definitely wants to you know a lot of people want to see how many people will be there at at three or four p.m in the afternoon and a very conservative rich neighborhood i'm assuming not much yeah. <laughs> not much given the source material for this Zack Snyder film it'd be rob, packed but you know during avatar rob, rob takes out a nacho not spicy enough 
Can't eat with the mask on, buddy. I eat before. I, know. I eat before. But what well, I do well, to well, support this is why this, this is why you invented what I do. The, the blend the, the the blendy buddy. It's a little blender, and he puts his nachos in it, and then he sips it through a straw in the mask that's completely airtight. What I do no, what I do is I eat before, and this is, since these movies are so fucking long, whatever. When I when I'm done, as I'm leaving, I buy the food I want to support the theater. Right, they've done a good job. I buy the food and then I take it to my car and I eat it in there. <laughs> like, really? That's, what, yeah, what, that's exactly what I do. What yeah. I do is I buy food outside and I bring it in and I eat it and then when I'm done, I throw it on the floor and go, "Got you, got you." What are you gonna do about it now? Got you. Yeah, well that that explains uh, LA. <laughs> <laughs> no. That explains a lot. Uh, I actually don't do that because I don't want my kids getting used to getting stuff at the theater. Because I'm like, no, nah, I ain't buying that shit for you. Crazy. Do you think I made a money here? All right. Anyways, we'll be back tomorrow yes. with any any Star <laughs> Wars news. Maybe we'll know what Studio Ghibli's up to. Maybe we'll know if it's if it's Grogu and the Dust Bunnies or not, or something something bigger. Who knows? What? Hey, for all we know, it's Radio Land Murders too. Oh shit! Yeah, Miyazaki actually really liked that movie, and he wants to make it whatever it was. It's just anger. The whole... yeah. <laughs> all um, right, all right. Well, well, I, I burn I, it all I'll, down. We'll we'll end the show, and then I'll let you go, Rob. And I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow, and you'll let us know how the movie was and all that stuff. Was it Wakanda okay. forever or Wakanda sometimes? Either way, I'm getting blue people in water. There you go. Either way, maybe you'll get to see that see that trailer today too, and you'll be extra happy. That's, that's my hope for you. Mm-hmm. you, you little, av- mm-hmm. little avatar trailer going. 3D showing. Can't wait. Laser oh, and uh, and one last thing. Uh, Jeff Snyder was saying that he knows what the Indiana Jones TV show is. So tomorrow, we, if he releases that today, we'll, tomorrow we'll be able to talk about the today Indiana Jones Today at 5 show. p.m. or 4 p.m. your time. So we'll, 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 we'll hear about it. We'll figure it out. All right. See everybody tomorrow. Hopefully with some Indiana Jones news. Bye. It's the end of the show. Come on, let's go. Hey! It's the end of the show. Come on, let's go. Hey! It's the end of the show. Come on, let's go. Hey! No, you should go. Come on, let's go. It's not about spaceships.